Good to see you. I hope this week you guys had a chance to uh, get in the Word. More importantly, I hope the Word is getting inside of you. I was talking to my daughter, Sage, who's in kindergarten. I don't know if you guys ever read the book or remember the book. It's kind of an old book. Everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. And actually watching my daughter this year go through kindergarten, I actually deem it to be really true. She came home the other day and just as a reminder, my kids are seven, five, and three. She's five. And so they're all talking about something. And uh, my youngest son, Rogue, says, I can't do something. And Sage, who's in kindergarten, says, we don't say can't at school. I'm like, what do you say? She says, we can't. We can do anything sometimes, but just not yet. And as I was thinking about that, it was really applicable to kind of my walk with the Lord sometimes when I'm reading that God is telling us to forgive our enemies umpteen times. God is calling me to be this spiritual leader in my household. God is calling me to this high bar. And my simple reaction a lot of times is, I can't do that. And Sage is quick to correct me now as, Dad, you can, just not yet. And I think that's something we need to remember as we're going through this study, or every day just when you're diving in the Word. Sometimes you're going to read something when God says, be holy as I'm holy, be perfect as I'm perfect. And you're like, that is like, that's way up here. And I'm like, that's 925 steps, and I'm on like three. And the answer is, yeah, you're not there, not yet. And as my college football coach used to say is, you know, we're not the men we want to be yet, but at least we're not the men we used to be. And if you walk out of here every day saying, at least I'm not the man I used to be, that's a good thing. You know, there's a lot of flooding in South Carolina and different parts of our country right now, if you guys have been paying any attention to the news. And as that was happening, I, they were talking about the Coast Guard swimmers and the rescue swimmers, and I love their motto. The motto of the Coast Guard rescue swimmers is, so others may live. And I'm like, that should be our motto, so others may live, right? As we dive in the word, as God transforms our hearts, as he changes us, right? It's, it's not for us. It's for his glory, and it's for these people around us that are lost and hurt and lonely. And this morning, I'm so excited that Boyd's going to come up here and teach us from the word, prep our time at the tables. Just a couple of quick notes for you. We have note cards at your tables this week. We told you last week they'd be there, so the note cards, they're for prayers. If you have a prayer request, write it down, toss it in. You toss a card in, you take a card out, right? No, that's kind of complicated, so I'll say it again. If you toss a card in, you take a card out. And actually pray for that guy. You know, one of the things that's been close to my heart in the last few weeks is really just my prayer life. I like being in the Word. I like spending time with you gentlemen. My prayer life, I don't always do a good job of just literally stopping and praying, and so I'm working on that. And so these note cards actually help me. Um, Also, If you have other people, other friends, other neighbors, other people that need to be involved, it is never too late to have them come join us. This is open for them. It's open for all of us. So we want to have you guys invite your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your in-laws, outlaws, everybody around you that needs to know about Jesus um, to come join us. Because um, as I had a chance to talk to a few guys this week here that I didn't know, a a couple guys came up here and just said, this is such a blessing that 200 plus guys would get up five-something in the morning to come worship Jesus and to say, that hey, this is really important in my life. And that just gives me so much joy to know that there are men out there like this that are looking to lead their families well. So let's prepare our hearts. Let's say a, a quick prayer, and then Boyd will come up here and share the Word of God with us. Father, just thank you this morning that you raised us up with your almighty hand. 
wasn't the alarm clock. It was your good word and your strength that got us out of bed, that continues to get us up every day. It is easy just to be controlled by what's on our calendar every day, Father, and we pray that you will continue to transform our hearts so that we are looking, following, searching for you every moment, being in continuous prayer, looking to lock arms with other gentlemen around us, seeking wise counsel, just longing to look more like your son Jesus in the way that he's humble and meek and providing, yet still strong and brave and a visionary for all of us, Lord. Please prepare all of our hearts for what Boyd's going to share with us and what you will reveal to us through your word this morning. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jason. Hey, guys. My name is Boyd Pelly. I've met a lot of you guys, but not everybody. Um, I've been married 29 years and two months. I've got two kids, a 25-year-old son and a 23-year-old daughter. So, guys, it was so cool. Last year, my daughter graduated for college, and all those years of saving and thinking about getting your kids through college, we made it. It was so cool. Both of them got married, though, last year. Both of them live, so now I have four kids, and they all live and work in Dallas and go to the Watermark campus involved there. And we love Watermark. We love this church. It's such a privilege to be a part of it. Um, about eight, for about 18 years, I was a, a pastor. I was a discipleship pastor, church administrator, and family pastor. And about eight years, well, in the last eight years of that, I uh, was developing a software to help churches manage all the stuff you have to manage in church. And so about seven years ago, I was able to start doing that full-time. So now I'm officially a geek, okay? I'm a software geek, and that's kind of what I do. So But I love the Word of God. I love discipling, investing my life in other people. That's my passion. That's what I live for in spite of everything else. So here's what I want you guys to do. Start by flipping, get your Bible, and go to the table of contents, okay? We've been doing this through our Max Anders book in the study. Go to the table of content. And what is the big idea of getting this overview of all of Scripture, Well, the big idea is, so when you go to a particular section of Scripture, you understand what kind of literature it is and be able to go in there and say, oh, this is a book of history, okay? So go in there, and he's going to put up a slide for us on these books of history that we've looked at. In Anders' books, goes from Genesis all the way to Ezra and Nehemiah's Esther, right? The books of history. There is a little part, the first five books of the law. They are a lot of history, but those are the books of the law. If you ever hear people talk about the Torah, that's a little extra, little dive in there. Now, these books of history, they're stories. And as I was thinking about how I would relate it to today, I think of it like the news, just stories of what's going on. That's as you go to read these books, know you're reading stories. They're going to appeal to your mind It's going to appeal to your intellect. It's going to give you information and understand the law, what God expects. Okay, now the next bunch of books in the Old Testament, we're just going to do the Old Testament this morning, are the books of poetry. Poetry books, like from Job to the Song of Psalms there, the poetry books are like music today. In fact, some of the Psalms were the songs they sang back in the day. So when you go there, you'll read it, And the book of Proverbs has all these kind of hit lyrics that you get stuck in your head. That's kind of what Proverbs was. So as you read those, don't think you're reading a story of history. Think about you're listening to music. 
and you're picking up some of the key ideas that people had at the time. Then the last books of the Old Testament are the prophets. The only difference between the major prophets and the minor prophets are the length of the book. That's literally all there is to it. Now, prophets are like, the, like sermons. Their job is they go to the culture and they say, hey, guys, you know how you're supposed to live and what you're supposed to do. You need to step up. You need to kind of take it up a notch. So history appeals to the mind. Prophets appeal to the emotions. I mean, excuse me, poetry appeals to the emotions. And then the prophets appeal to your will, getting you ready to go and do that. It's great to understand that. Now, besides the fact that they're in the Bible, I don't know if any of you guys have ever asked this question, but I found myself asking this question this week. Why are we so interested in Jewish history? Why don't we study Greek history or Roman history to learn about things? Or why don't we study U.S. history, and especially why don't we all study Texas history, right? But the reason is, in the Max Anders book we did, do you remember, it's in the second era, it's the storyline of the second era. So let me quiz you guys a little bit, see how we're doing here. What was the first era in Max Anders' book? Creation. Okay, and who was the main guy? Adam. Okay, the second era was? patriarchs. The main guy was Abraham. Now, the storyline for Abraham was that Abraham was chosen by God to represent God to the whole world. The Jews, the story of Israel, the reason those books are there is because there was a very different relationship. Israel was chosen to be an ambassador for God to the rest of the world, the rest of the globe. It's very similar to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians about us being ambassadors of Christ. Same idea. That's why we study the history of Israel. Because the history of Israel, through those guys, we get to know God better. As they struggle to know God, we can struggle to know God. How they related to him is a picture of how we relate to him. Their story, you guys, is our story. That's the significance of these books of history here. So here's kind of the big picture, a broad perspective of it. What's the third era? Exodus, right? And the main guy of the third era is Moses, right? So what is Exodus about? Exodus is about a people that were in slavery. That's all of us, you guys. All of us are in slavery. There's time in our life before we come to Christ, the Bible says that sin owns us. It owns us. Now, some of us have addictions and other things going on that are owned, but that's the story there. And then the fourth, area, uh, the fourth era is the conquest. The main guy there is Joshua, right? So when you come out of slavery, it's not easy. And as you go into the promised land, it's not always easy to get out of slavery and to make a new and a better life. And that's a lot of the story of Joshua. And then as they get into the promised land, we get to the, what am I up to? The fifth era, which is the judges. And then the sixth era, which is the kings, right? And so as these guys come in here, they get into this new land and there's all kinds of problems. There's enemies, there's all these steens from all around them and ites that are attacking them. They've got enemies that are attacking them. They've got temptations. They've got idols around them. Other people are serving these other gods, and they're, they're drawn to do that. There's de- disasters like drought and um, famine. And for us, guys, 
There's old habits. There's old friends that we have to deal with. There's new temptations. There's the world we live in that are temptations that are a challenge for us. Maybe we even have physical challenges as a result of old lifestyle and old habits that we once had in the same way that the Jews did. So God raises up these judges and these kings to lead them through that. Because during those times, and as we're trying to make progress to this promised land that God has promised for us, we need people to come alongside and help us. That's why we hear so much around here about living in community, about finding a a mentor, about being a disciple and making disciples, because we need other people. Um, There's a whole class, a whole program here called Regen, you guys, that was designed specifically to help us break through the patterns. Because you know what? Coming to Christ is just the start. That's the foundation point. Breaking through these cycles of sin is hard. It takes hard work. And so we've got all kinds of programs and classes. Um, How many of you guys here would say, you know, I've been to Regen, and I would be glad to talk to another guy about it. If you're here and that's you, raise your hand. There's Kyle, a bunch of guys. Look around, okay? So you guys look around these guys that have been to Regen. They know the difference it makes. And if you're interested, you might say, gosh, Boyd, I've got this, some issues going on. I could really use some help. Talk with one of these guys, and you're going to find it a big help. Now, these kings and these judges that came along, some of them were great leaders. I mean, they came, they pursued God, they were amazing leaders like David. Some of them were terrible all the way through. They never bought into following God at all. They were, okay? And some of them started good and ended up bad. So you read these stories of these judges and these kings, and it's all over the map. You guys, that's like us. Sometimes we're nailing it, sometimes we're blowing it, and you know what? We just want to make sure that at the end, we finish well. That's what we're trying to do and to help each other get there. Now, every one of us and every one of them came to a critical point in their story, and it's the critical point in our, our story. Now, Moses, as he was leading the people out, knew that they would come to these critical points. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15, if you want to grab that, I'm going to read that. And this is Moses, towards the end of his life, telling these people, these millions of people that he had led out of slavery, hey guys, here's what's coming. And he says in uh, Deuteronomy 30, 15, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and if you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, Get this, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So he's telling them right up front, guys, listen, you're going to come to points where you've got a choice to make. You can make a prideful, arrogant choice and go your own way in the way of the people around you. Guess what? You're going to be out of the promised land before you know it. Or you can make a humble choice to pursue God and keep you there. Right up front, 
before they'd even gone in, he said that. Well, his protege, Joshua, got that. And he understood it. So he got the people in, made some amazing decisions and some amazing um, victories. But then towards the end of his life, he looked at them and he, and he said to them, listen, you guys, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day which God you're going to serve. The God of our forefathers that we, used to, that we served, the patriarchs, or the God of the Amorites and the people around us. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's the kind of men, man that Joshua was. That's the kind of men that God wants us to be. Now I want to look at a couple of real specific examples of some of these kings in particular. And the first one I want to look at is David. And if you did a little of the extra reading, you read in, you went to 1 Samuel. So I'm going to read now. We're going to go to 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to start in verse 32. And this is a real familiar passage for, my, for a lot of us. So here's the backdrop. Israel's one of those confrontation times. They're with the Philistines. Um, David's brothers are with the army. David's serving sheep. His dad says, here, you're on the supply chain. You go, take the supplies down. And, um, uh, and David hears this story that every day this huge warrior is coming out and challenging Israel. His name's Goliath. And so he's listening, he's asking questions about it. And so he says, I'm going to do something about it. And in verse 32, David said to Saul, he goes to the king, and he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been fighting man since he was young. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and I killed it. Okay, what kind of guy is that? Can you imagine that? Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I wonder what he's really thinking. Okay, go and the Lord be, yeah, right. Okay, but then he says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried to walk around them, but he wasn't used to them. This is the best equipment the army had because it was Saul's own stuff, but he he couldn't. And so he says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, And with his sling, he approached the Philistine. Well, you guys know how the rest of the story goes, right? Here's David. He has a choice. Here's a story. He goes up to Saul. What would the prideful choice have been for David at this point? Prideful choice would have been to take care of himself, to be focused on himself. That's what all the other guys around were doing. His His brother earlier in the passage said, you're just an arrogant little dude. Why don't you just go away? Okay? 
And so the prideful thing here would have been for him to just go away, to take care of himself. He had a lot of excuses. I'm too young. You know, my brother told me not to go. I, I don't even know how to handle the weapons of war. All I know is a sling. Humble choice for David here wasn't to back away and to go hide. The humble choice for David was to follow God and to risk his life because God was telling him to. You see, humility is not being a wimp and backing out of stuff. That isn't it at all. Humility is courage to do what God says to move things forward. What does that take? It takes a heart attuned to God. David wasn't looking at Goliath. He was looking at God. And he knew that the God who had helped him slay the lion and the bear would help him slay this, this uh, warrior. That was his focus. He listened to God and he did what he knew. He took what he had and did and went and faced Goliath and, of course, defeated him. All of us come to those points. 2008 was that year for me. The end of 2007, I was on church staff, as I said. Into 2007, the pastor I worked for asked me to go ahead and find another job. I continued working for three months. If you've ever done that, that's really hard. Okay? So that's how my year started. Had a little bit of a severance package. Our company was about seven years in and wasn't quite at the point where it could go full-time. We're 50-50 partners. One of the things that I had always said of my partner is, I'm going to always look out for your best. And I knew that the best wasn't for me to put the company in financial straits to go full-time. And so I'm looking around. I'm trying to find anything I can do. A lot of us have been there. At times where you're trying to figure out, how am I going to make ends meet? It was a bear. It was really difficult. It was a challenging time for me. This was my Goliath. How am I going to make ends meet? To make it worse, my oldest son, 2008, had just graduated from high school and was going to University of Texas. Okay, so it was the front end of all the college years. And here I am. My whole employment thing is different. The whole thing has changed. And now what in the world am I going to do? And the stress level was through the roof, you guys. I mean, I'm calling, I'm trying to figure out this deal, trying to figure out how to hook in with this thing. By September of that year, I was absolutely fried. And I didn't realize it in terms of my emotions. We'd taken my son to college, awesome, you know, great, and all the emotions that go with that. And now I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm, we're working to build the company, doing things, and, and, uh, but, you know, the finances weren't there yet. And I get this phone call out of the blue, and it's my partner. And he calls and he says, Boyd, my wife, Jill and I have been praying about this. And we feel like the best thing for us to do, the best thing for the company, is for you to work full time. And for us just to go ahead and get a line of credit and to do that. We did it and the Lord was very gracious. But that was a very tough decision. And that was the day that we killed a Goliath for me. It was a benchmark day where... It was, it was the humble choice, it was the right choice to step out and to follow what God was doing in, in our lives. But it was so hard because you have the security and you know, and that's how I was used to for all, all my career up to that point, and to step out. So all of us have those years. We have times like that that, we're gonna, that, that we, we've got to be careful of. And we've got a choice. We can make a prideful choice and do our own thing and do what the culture says or the humble choice and, and follow God. Well, there's one other 
king that I want to look at, and then we're going to draw the application. By the way, when you do the kings, if you guys are memorizing the books of the Bible, which is a great thing to do, after you go Joshua, Judges, the kings are all Samuel, uh, Kings, and Chronicles. The way to remember it is SKC. I've done that forever. So remember Samuel, then Kings, then Chronicles, first and second of both of them. Well, last week, I happened to be finishing up Second Chronicles. That's just where I was reading in my normal time. And Second Chronicles 36. This is the last king. David was a king that made a good choice. The last king, Zedekiah, made a horrible ch- choice. Second Chronicles 36, verses 11 to 14. Okay? Zedekiah, this is the last king of Judah. Okay? Israel's already in exile. This is the very last king. It ends the book of Second Chronicles. Zedekiah, in verse 11 of Second Chronicles 36, was 21 years old when he became king. Can you imagine that? And he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. Get this, verse 12. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet. God sent somebody to help him out. A sharp guy too, Jeremiah the prophet. And he refused to humble himself and to listen to him um, who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked. Listen, here's what's happening to the guy. He became stiff-necked. He hardened his heart, and he would not turn to the Lord. Furthermore, here's the influence of Guy headed south. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Zedekiah was so proud. And you see this in story after story after story of these kings, how they make this decision that's all just built around their own stiff neck and their own hard-hearted and their own uh, um, desire to go a certain way instead of a humble decision. And for Zedekiah, it ended up really bad. Nebuchadnezzar came, took him, destroyed. Can you imagine your whole city being destroyed and taken away, being taken away? He was blinded, he was um, tortured, and it did not end well for this guy because he didn't listen. Just like Moses said, he didn't listen and didn't humble himself. But he was hard and he did that. Guys, I've had times like that, like you guys have. When I, in 2002, when I, um, I was at a point, again, I, I'm doing job stuff, but you'll see how this relates. Um, I was at a church. I was a little frustrated with the church. Senior pastor had left. Didn't have the, the greatest relationships at that point with, with some of the elders and stuff there. And we were working on getting that, that fixed. But then I had this opportunity to come to a different church. It was a 25% pay raise. It was being able to move down to Texas and all this stuff. And I just knew, I, in, my brain, in my mind, that was what God wanted. And I was completely confident in doing that. However, when I talked to my wife and a few other guys around me, they said, ah, I don't think that's really the best idea. Now, I had some others that thought it was, but for them, I didn't. So um, I went ahead and made a decision to go ahead and do it anyway. And when I did that, when we got to the, the, the location, then my wife was devastated. It was a killer time for her. And I'd betrayed some of her trust. Guys, that's been 13 years ago. And we're still, we've worked on it ever since then. 
and it had, did not go well because I didn't take the humble choice. I didn't wait, and I didn't listen, and I didn't really listen to the heart of my wife, and I wish I would have. If I could do that over, I would change it totally in a second. So guys, all of us make humble choices. All of us make pride choices. And so when you come to a decision, you've got to ask yourself that question. What's the prideful choice? What's the humble choice? That's the lesson of the kings. And in the midst of that, at the end of that, ask yourself, how am I with God right now? Quiet your heart. Pray. Seek counsel. Get help. Be in community. Go to Regen. Get some community to help you unpack and make your, uh, unpack your heart and make it open to, humi- open to humility. I wish I would have done that. Solomon saw his dad, David. He was a humble man. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote a lot of the book of Proverbs. These are these pithy sayings, these lyrics you remember, right? One of them that I've never forgotten is Proverbs eighteen twelve, And it says, Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. Okay? You see the verse up there. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to memorize it together. It's going to take us one minute. Okay? Here's how we memorize it. We do it one phrase at a time. So um, we're going to say Proverbs 18.12 before his downfall. Ready? Proverbs 18.12 before his downfall. Then when you memorize a verse, you add the next section of it. For his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Okay? So we're going to do, we're going to say the reference, Proverbs 18.12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Okay? Here we go. Proverbs 18.12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. Then when you're memorizing scripture, you just keep adding one phrase at a time, and then you go all the way through it. And so the last phrase is, but humility comes before honor. Okay, so let's do it together. Proverbs 18.12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. So guys, if we want honor, the way is humility. To listen to God, to abide with him, to listen to him. So guys, I challenge you to think about that. You see somebody on the downfall, it's because his heart is proud. If your heart is proud and going a certain way, you know where that's headed. It's headed to destruction. As sure as Moses, clear back in Deuteronomy, told us. So humility comes before honor. So here's what I want us to do. As you're around the tables... Uh, and we start on, what are the issues you might be struggling with? Maybe one or two people would say, I've got a couple of issues I want to throw out here. Then around the group, say, what's a prideful response and what's a humble response? And help each other do that and just begin getting in the habit of it. Now, for some of us in here, it might, the issue might be with Jesus. We may say, I'm proud, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, I, I, I'm, Jesus is my advisor. I'm proud of the fact that he comes, he, he's my advisor. But guess what? He's not your king. And maybe that's one of those issues you've struggled with. I like Jesus. I'm for him. But he king? You mean let him rule my life? Talk about that. Talk with some people about that. But maybe the other issue is um, I've, I know Christ, and I know he's called me to a new standard. And I'm just kind of taking it easy. And my issue with God is I'm just taking it easy. I should be doing more. So what's the prideful choice? What's the humble choice? Maybe it's time to invest our lives in other people.
Okay, so think about those two questions. What's the issue? What's a prideful response? What's the humble response? Let's pray, dive into our table time. <clears throat> Father, sometimes the names of kings and what's going on in Israel, Israel's history is really hard for me to understand, and I don't really get it. But then when I listen and I see how they related to you, I can totally relate to it. So, God, I pray for us as guys to take the lesson from these kings and these judges and to look at the crisis, the issues that we're thinking about, the things that we wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, and run it through Scripture. Think, what is the prideful? What is the selfish me want in this? And what's the humble approach? What's God saying? God, speak to us. Take our time around the table. Make this be a precious, sweet time. In Jesus' name, amen.